Well, our worship hour already, we've talked a great deal about those who have served our country and helped preserve our freedom and fought for the cause of freedom elsewhere. So I want to recognize our, our veterans and those currently serving. If you are a member of any branch of the military or you have served in any branch of the military, uh, we ask you at this moment, would you stand just for a moment of recognition? All those who have served are currently serving. We'll express our thanks to you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, we, uh, we, we're worshiping today under that theme, God Bless America. And my thoughts during the week uh, were this. Can God bless America the way we are today? How far are we from God's hand of blessing being withdrawn from us? We have been blessed, I think, greater than any nation on the face of the earth. Ours is a rich heritage of faith and liberty. We have strongly stood against the foes who would want to take away the freedom and liberty from us. But I see an eroding that's not just now, but has been for some time working underneath the foundation of our nation. And my July 4th celebration, to a certain extent, was subdued some part uh, by the Supreme Court ruling in the United States last week. I'm sure that you remember by now that the Supreme Court, by a 5-4 to four vote, ruled that under the Constitution, same-sex couples may exercise the fundamental right to marry. Uh, Judge uh, Kennedy wrote, no longer may this liberty be denied to them. Now, that ruling obviously is contradictory to God's design for marriage and the definition of marriage by which we have sustained his principle for many, many years. It certainly contradicts what Jesus said in Mark 10, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, when I look at the ruling, and I've read so many different articles this week and last week, but when I look at that ruling, I, I, I think that two things have happened. Number one, it has destroyed the very foundation of the, of the fabric of the family unit, which has been the foundation of our nation. And at the same time, it wipes away any de definition of marriage. You see, the door is wide open now. Wide open now for any form of marriage. I mean, what's to stop three people from coming and wanting to be married? There is no defined, clearly defined definition of marriage. You think about the ramifications of that in our country. I don't think that maybe that's been taken into consideration. Surely the people who, who are much smarter than I am have already thought about that. But I think we're going to watch and see an ultimate chaos that comes from that. What's interesting to me is when you trace the work of the, of the Supreme Court, over a hundred years ago the Supreme Court ruled that we are basically a Christian nation. In 1892, the United States Supreme Court cited and agreed with the ruling of the Supreme Court of New York, which stated, the people of this state, in common with the people of this country, profess the general doctrines of Christianity as the rule of their faith and practice, 
We are a Christian people, and the morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity. Seventy years later, in 1962, the Supreme Court, by a vote of six to one with two abstentions, then ruled that a simple school prayer consisting of 22 words was unconstitutional. Look what happened in a period of time of about 70 years. And then we know what happened. Next of all was Bible reading. Then the legalization of abortion. And now last week, these nine judges ruled on changing God's definition of American marriage. My observation says today, now while we have a lot to celebrate and freedom to enjoy, that we are still a nation in distress. It's pictured by our flag upside down. Flying the flag upside down is an officially recognized signal of distress. In fact, the United States Flag Code, Title IV, Chapter 1, reads that the flag should never be displayed with the Union down except as a signal of dire distress in instances of extreme danger to life or property. That's my interpretation of that. I think we are a nation in dire distress. And now one verse of Scripture from Psalm 11.3, I think, describes our plight. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Hear that again. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I would hope that that righteous would describe us as the church, not just at Spring Valley, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this country. I don't want to stand before you today as a prophet of doom, but I do want to sound an alarm and challenge us as Christian people to respond positively. So when we ask when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want to make three suggestions for our celebration. This weekend is not over. And our celebration of freedom should continue. So what should we do? Let me suggest three things. Number one, we need to celebrate our heritage and our blessings. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Our forefathers settled this country on biblical principles. They came here. Searching for a place where they could exercise their faith. As the pilgrims made their way to Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower, when they landed, they joined together in what is called the Mayflower Compact of 1620. And these are the words, In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. Many of the first settlers believed the words of Jesus when he said, You are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And those words drove these religious pilgrims to find a place where they could build a city like that. The second wave of English settlers was led by a landowner by the name of John Winthrop, and they settled the Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1630, he preached a sermon to his fellow Puritans in which he said, we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all the people are upon us. The eyes of the world have been upon America for many, many years to lead the way. And I'm afraid during this time right now, we're failing. And the eyes of the world see that. We also trace our Baptist roots. And we know that Baptists were a part of those who were seeking religious freedom on the shores of America. Roger Williams established the First Baptist Church in Providence, Rhode Island in 1638. 
And he began that church so that Baptists who were suffering persecution would have a place in which they could practice their faith openly. In 1643, more and more people came to the shores. Uh, and up in New England, they formed the confederation called the New England Confederation. And their constitution was the first constitution signed on American soil, and it began this way. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. When you trace our history, you cannot deny how deep our Christian roots lie. This land was populated by people seeking religious liberty. They desired to build a city set upon a hill to be a witness to the world. Baptists had a great deal to do with that in some of more recent history. Uh, My Country, Tears of Thee was written by a Baptist minister by the name of Samuel Samuel Francis Smith. The Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892 by Baptist minister Francis Bellamy. And the words, In God We Trust, are traced to the efforts of Reverend W.R. Watkinson. I would have to say, and I hope you agree with me, that there is no land, no country, no people, no government in all the world as blessed as America. But I think now we're in a time of distress. And it's time not only to celebrate God's rich blessings upon our country and to reflect upon our heritage, but to understand why this nation was founded. And then the second thing I would suggest is that we need to do this. We need to live a lifestyle that honors God. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So when we talk about righteousness and living that lifestyle, we have to talk about the fact that there is one supreme authority that defines righteousness for us, and that is God and God himself. In Psalm 71, 19, the psalmist said, Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. Who has done great things, O God? Who is like unto thee? You see, that standard for our society and for our culture is that of the righteousness of God. Psalm 119 says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. At the founding of our nation, the Bible was held in high esteem. There are both direct and indirect quotations in the correspondence of our founding fathers. And therefore, I would suggest to you we need to submit to the sovereignty and standard of Almighty God. Proverbs 22, 28, these words of wisdom say to us, Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Of course, in ancient times, boundary stones were set as markers to mark someone's property. And of course, it would be an illegal act to move that boundary stone one way or another to enhance your property against theirs. That was simply a violation of a covenant that was in long standing. But I think in the same way, there have been boundary stones that God has given to us for how we should live our life and how we should celebrate our freedom. And we have been moving those boundary stones. And it's time for us to begin to understand that we should be ruled most of all by the righteousness of God himself. We have been for some time, and I think we are, being disgraced by sin. 
And we need to hear the challenge that God gives to us, his people, that he gave to his people so many years ago, calling them to righteousness and to faith. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, that is a call very clearly for us to live with integrity and character based upon the standard of God's righteousness. And then here's the third thing that I think we are challenged to do when the foundations are being destroyed. And that is we must understand the basic reason this nation was founded, and that was to extend the cause in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to communicate the life-changing message of freedom in Jesus Christ. That we as God's people are to blame for the distress we now find ourselves living under. Nobody else has been given the responsibility to proclaim the kingdom of God except the people of God, the church. And we see the reality of the saying, or at least we should, that what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. And that's been going on tremendously over the last 50 years. What's our problem? We, as God's people, have been willing to settle for a casual Christianity that will allow us to live in comfort by our faith, but not challenge us to a lifestyle change. We don't want to be different than the culture. We want to blend in. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to stand apart. As God has called us, when he calls us to be holy, as I am holy. We have from the beginning of our relationship with God been called to be holy and stand apart from that which is unholy. And the result of all of that is that we have not proclaimed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we have not shared that message with friends and family and co-workers. And I think the result of that is that we are now a post-Christian nation. And we really should not be surprised by the state of our nation because we cannot expect unbelievers and non-Christians to act like Christians nor to share biblical values, especially when believers today, especially when believers today don't necessarily live by these biblical values. The church was born into a non-Christian, pre-Christian society, and the true church has always been counter-cultural. Many years ago, William Penn said, men must be governed by God or they will be ruled by tyrants. I believe that's true. And I believe that the only hope for our nation is not a political party, And not who takes his place or her place in the White House. But it's the good news of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And the freedom that we find in Jesus and in him alone. John 8, 36 should ring loudly this weekend. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. 
That is genuine life-changing freedom. That is liberty. It's liberty from sin and guilt and fear. America's had a great beginning. And it was the dream of her settlers in that beginning to build a city upon a hill that would be a moral and spiritual example to the world. For many years, that light has shone brightly. I think it's beginning to diminish. President Ronald Reagan often spoke about America as a city set upon a hill. And in his farewell address to the American people in 1988, he said, I've thought a bit about that shining city upon a hill. And the phrase comes from John Winthrop, who wrote it to describe the America he imagined. And what he imagined was important because he was an early pilgrim who journeyed here looking for a home that would be free. I've spoken of the city set on the hill all my political life, but I never communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than the oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. After 200 years, she still stands true on the granite ridge, and her glow has held steady no matter what the storm. Are we holding steady today, and is the light of Christ shining forth from America today? It's our job, our responsibility, our God called privilege to fan that flame of freedom so that it never goes out. Our only hope as we live as a nation under God but in distress is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sits enthroned in the heavens. So when the foundations are being destroyed and we find ourselves as a nation in distress, May we hear once again the words of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As we move forward from this July 4th weekend, May we storm heaven with our prayers of repentance and humbly seek God's hand to heal and lead our land. Father, this weekend as we celebrate our freedom, we thank you for the great freedom that's ours in America. Lord, we know your hand of blessing has been upon us because we have been a people through the years faithful to you. My prayer today is that we would continue to be a people and we would hear your word calling us back to you who would, who would be in relationship with you and who would live without fear and without compromise the standard of righteousness in this great land of ours. And that we would be that shining city, that light of freedom set upon a hill, proclaiming forth the love of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ, and the freedom found in him. And may, Father, that spirit permeate our nation from shore to shining shore. And, Father, may we do that for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.